0: in a series uh, going toward Easter. And uh, when I talked to Pastor about talking to uh, him about heaven, he agreed, and I've been thinking, what an appropriate thing, because the whole culmination of what Christ did at Easter is opening the way for you and I to be able to get to heaven. And so today and next Sunday, uh, we're going to be discussing about heaven. Today is um, your, your sermon, the sermon title is Children Experience Their Father's Love. And I'd like to stop and pray first. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for your great love. Thank you that you give us really good gifts help us to understand that today in a way maybe deeper than we have understood before. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I think it must have been about 1983. Uh, A little girl about five years old was uh, in a swimming pool and she got into a part of it that was over her head and she was floundering and she could look up as she was afraid to drown. She could look up and see her father sitting, talking with others at a table right next to the pool, almost within arm's length of her. But his attention was in the conversations that he had and he was completely... Ignorant of her plight, by God's grace, she was able to get to the side and survive. Okay, and her father was still unknown of what had even happened. <clears throat> Later on, Elizabeth told me what had happened, and I thought, I it still gives me. Super stressed even to remember that my daughter might have drowned close enough for me to take one step and pull her out of the pool. What kind of a father does that? You say, well, I can save myself too. I didn't know. And I didn't. And yet, I just, the father daughter relationship that could have been broken right there. Uh, so so tight and so strong that even in a non uh, you might say a non-guilty way I would have been crushed I would still be crushed if that had happened and so I'd like to look at our father relationship with our heavenly father who doesn't sleep he's always attentive he knows our needs he cares for us. He provides our daily needs in a way that we can't. We in our limitations. In the Bible verse that was read, Jesus said, you are evil. Our limitations as sinful fathers, still, uh, compared to our Heavenly Father, should help us understand how great His gifts are. When I give that title, Children Experience Their Father's Love, your reaction to that will depend on your experience of your own father's love. Some never even knew their fathers, or they may not have had uh, even an adoptive father, (coughs) or some kind of a father figure in their lives. Some had me or even abusive fathers. Probably you, like me, know some people like that. Some had fathers whose love was unpredictable, perhaps because of an addiction. Some had fathers who disciplined them, and they hated it, and later realized it was for my good. Some had fathers that were maybe the opposite and ignored them. But the general assumption is that fathers and mothers love their children. Even if the ability or even the desire to love varies from family to family, we fathers usually want to love, but may fall far short of our own expectations. And in general, most of us fathers want to see ourselves as good fathers, providing as best we can for our children. Jesus uses the gift-giving ability to help us understand our Heavenly Father's love. What you heard earlier in Matthew seven eleven, Jesus said, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? What kind of gifts does our Heavenly Father give us? I'm going to discuss briefly five gifts that our Heavenly Father gives. The first one, one is the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that his spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Uh, I look at children and the babies and I see that their parents' spirit is bearing witness with their spirit. They don't even understand yet. But they're knowing that they're cared for. They're knowing that they're loved. This spirit is a great gift to us, because he guides us, he guides our conscience, he picks he our conscience when we're doing something that we know we ought not to do, or he warns us, and says that's a temptation, don't go down that road, what a wonderful gift the Holy Spirit is. Reading our Bible and praying. Give him the connection he needs to allow us to follow the ways of our Heavenly Father. And related to that, gift two is the gift of true righteousness. The gift of true righteousness. Most people want to be seen as good, as generous politicians want to be seen as taking the high moral ground, right? You want to be seen as good and sometimes in an overt way that comes out with uh, people, the the famous photo op photograph opportunities that presidents have, they wanna the politicians want to be seen. They're doing good things that they're their uh, constituents are going to see. wow, he's a good guy, I think I should vote, vote for him. But also, quietly, for those of us who are religious, we can be subtly thinking, if I do this, God's going to be happier with me. And there's a there's a sense in which that is really true. There's also a sense in which it focuses on us and takes away from, from God's glory. I read a book... Uh, I have a book that has a translation of some of the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, not the ones that are biblical, but the other kinds. And I forget which urn it was in, but there's one that has like a, I think they they call it the Dialogue of Discipline, or the Manual of Discipline. And this group that was down in (coughs) Qumran referring to themselves as the Yahai, they they saw themselves as like the the Ultra-Jews, and sometimes I wonder if in the book of John when Jesus said the Jews were confronting him or he confronted the Jews, it really sounds like them because you read that book and they they were so zealous for God and for the ways of Moses and the scriptures that they encouraged, they not only encouraged each other in righteousness, they judged each other. And they would have, when they sat in their group, they would, I think it was like once a year, was they would be rating each other's righteousness, and so that they could know whether they could come up or down in the group. And I thought, well, you know, if you really want righteousness, then, okay, let's not just talk about it. <laughs> let's put our money or our mouth into where we're in the city type of thing, you know? And uh, uh, one of the things in those Qumran tablets that... it it said about the Sabbath day if your animal falls in a well should you take it out on the Sabbath? No even if your son falls in a well on the Sabbath you should not take him out and I'm thinking this has got to be the Jews (laughs) that were reacting to Jesus and saying God's ways are ahead of us we always have to put God above anything and uh I'm I'm talking about this because of righteousness. What is good? What is bad? And a lot of times it's uh, cultural. Uh, These people were basing it on Old Testament scriptures, but even then they're going to have a hard time. And Jesus pointed out some of their hypocrisy but he might point out our hypocrisy too. And my point here, when I'm talking about true righteousness, I say it comes with God's help. The actual works may be identical of being generous to somebody or uh, secretly helping somebody and they don't know who it does, who did it. But the the Spirit in us helps us know and we know what part of that was really done so that God would like me or somebody else would like me. Or whether, oh, Father, let them praise you that you provided the need or something. Um, Matthew 5.16 says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. Right? See your good We want, Jesus wants people to see our good works and give glory to our Father, to your Father who is in heaven. This Father that gives us these good gifts, one of which is the ability to do good works that are not just somehow I did and pointed towards <coughs> myself gift three the gift of reconnecting with our heavenly father um, the theological term is reconciliation it means re- reconnecting a connection that has been broken at the fall and we are part of this, the fallen world but even more, I think, it, it, it relates to our conscience again. That when we do those things that we know are wrong, that is when we are doing actions that are like our physical parent, Adam and Eve. When they intentionally knew that God wanted this or that, don't eat at the tree, and they did anyway. Those times, not like when I was at the, at the swimming pool and, and ignorantly did not care for my daughter, but the times, maybe big, maybe small, in which I knew I shouldn't do that. I should spend time, I just, maybe I just feel like I should spend a little bit more time in Bible reading than reading a novel instead of relaxing that way. And I don't do it. It, it, nobody else is affected by that, you might say. But my conscience would be. Uh, all the way to, to bigger temptations of, of immorality or violence or things like that that you know you ought not to do. But then you do it anyway. That is where definitely you see your your, your connection with God is broken. And it could be that it would be broken forever. We... I think about the sins that we do we may not think are too bad. In fact, I know we don't know how bad things really are. I'm reminded of when Jesus was on the cross and he's almost at the point of death. And what does he say? Father, Heavenly Father, the giver of good gifts, Father,
1: forgive them
0: because they don't know what they're doing. That same Father can look at you and I and see our sins, and Jesus can say, Father, forgive him. He doesn't know how bad the stuff is that he's doing. And our Father is that kind of Father. He knows that we are made of dust. I think it's what the The Bible says um, we can't go back and undo those times in which we knowingly sinned. So there would always be that even, even when I try to do good but know that I did those bad times before God. I, I would never feel like I had a hundred percent. I'll use the word naked transparency before God. I would always feel like God knows those times that I went against him. My fellowship with my Maker would always be partial. The beauty of Easter, the beauty of Good Friday, is that Christ died for the sins of the world. The angel said, He will save the people from their sin. Save completely, 100%. Jesus, on the, Jesus' death on the cross was done. To pay for our sin, for our our intentional bad stuff, our unintentional bad stuff. Christ died for our sin, according to the scriptures, the Bible says. It also says that while we were sinners, Christ died for the ungodly, including us. The beauty of this is that it is God-initiated. He really loves us that much. You and I have been reconciled. We have been reconnected because of Christ's death on the cross. Gift number four, the gift of life, physical and spiritual. Gift number four, the gift of life, physical and spiritual. I'm aware that, that an atheist would disagree with me I have considered atheism when I was uh, pondering the various uh, philosophies and religions of life, but I have directed my faith toward God as my creator and Christ as my savior and my Lord. And so from my understanding of a Bible perspective God is the one who has given us and all mankind physical life it is the preciousness of our physical life is is seen in the way that we we struggle for survival how we, we hate to lose a family member and uh, in Jean's accident last week, you know, it, it could have been so easily that it would have been uh, a death involved in that accident, either she or the other person. We, we we hate to even think about that aspect of losing someone. Although I was a little bit jealous as I thought about that. that it, Jesus, it's not fair that she would have gone first, you know, um, because heaven is is such a a, a better thing than physical life. Um, In this physical life, God gives us what we need and so much more. Not only does he give us the food that we need and the, the, the clothing and the protection, but he gives us the ability to experience beauty in in sight and in sound and in words of comfort and encouragement, he gives us the ability of, of touch and texture and, and uh, the, uh, the touch of a, a fellow human being that can be such an amazing touch God also gives his children eternal life, not just physical life. Oftentimes when I think when I read in the New Testament where Jesus uses the word life, sometimes in my head I I change that that small letters to capital letters, you know, capital L, capital I, capital F, capital E. Because so often he is He is using it from his perspective of coming from heaven and understanding what ultimate, pure, holy life is going to be like. Kind of a life that we we can't know. He has to use our words because of our limitations. But he understands what it's really going to be like when we have the life that God's Holy Spirit gives us. I was very very encouraged a week or so ago when I was reading in John chapter 4 about the woman uh, Jesus' interaction with the woman uh, at the well this Samaritan woman Uh, let me read John chapter 4 verses 10 to 14 Jesus answered her if you knew the gift of God. Remember what, which verse, which gift we're talking about now? The gift of eternal life, right? If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, namely the Messiah, which later on Samaritans were expecting the Messiah, and he says, yeah, I'm it. If you knew who it was that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, me. And he, myself, Jesus, would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with. The well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock? said to her everyone who drinks of this water physical water will be thirsty again but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life what a beautiful gift that God has given us of life. Not only the life we're experiencing now, but eternal, everlasting life. Where does this life take place? <coughs> it is now. But gift number five is life in our Heavenly Father's kingdom. Gift five, life in our Heavenly Father's kingdom. <coughs> In Luke 12:32, Jesus said, "Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give." I repeat, to give you the kingdom. In preparing for this series, I asked you and a bunch of probably about 15 different people that I interacted with about heaven, and I got some. Interesting responses. I got lots of questions, and
1: uh, most of the questions
0: are related to things like, "What will it be like? Uh, Who will be there?" Etc. Etc. One of the unsaid aspects of our thinking about uh, about heaven that's revealed in these questions really is is it a place that I would like? Is it a place that I would enjoy? Or am I going to be bored? You know? The Bible doesn't really give us a lot of uh, specifics. I think very intentionally. Um, As I think about all those different questions most of them we we don't <laughs> we don't know uh, I don't know the temperature the color of stars or the bus schedules and I don't know if that's there we want their former owners there or if they are to be within two blocks of the owners that least they have shop collars uh, I don't know if people controlled by Brain implants are going to be there uh, because somebody else might be uh, manipulating their their desires and their lusts. Uh, unfortunately, I suspect that if I lowered myself and wrote a book pretending to know the answers to these things, it probably would sell very well because people are so fascinated and curious about the unknown about what it might be like in heaven that they crave answers and I think that that reveals a danger for us <coughs> in that our cravings can reveal how much it's related to us and not our trust in a good, good father who is perfect in all of his ways and gives us these things <coughs> we know our Heavenly Father gives sweet gifts as I read earlier the Bible does have some some descriptions they're mostly probably symbolic um, a city coming down a cubicle uh, thanks Pastor Mitch for uh, guiding me towards materials that that uh, Dr. Ben Carson said you know this is probably related the only other cubical uh, reference in the Bible in the Old Testament is the Holy of Holies and so God is showing it's like God's place coming right down for us and the things in the Holy of Holies got the, 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 the rod that, that uh, uh, Moses used for protecting uh, or for, for the powerful interaction against the enemies the manna that, that show God's provision um, the third thing in there I can remember but anyway ten the what? Ten the ten commandments God's guidance for us yeah this what a beautiful reminder of all these good things that God has related to his people oh, <coughs> water there giving eternal life trees providing healing uh, these are the things that are related to God's relationship to his children uh, it does it has some information about who, who is entering into heaven uh, the Bible talks about uh, have, he, Jesus told Nicodemus you have to be uh, born again and he told his disciples, you have to be like a child. You have to have childlike faith in order to get to heaven. Mm-hmm.
1: In Beatitudes,
0: uh, Jesus talked about those who are persecuted for their righteousness or those who are poor in spirit, our humility. Uh, the kingdom of heaven belongs to them, Jesus said. An interesting one in Matthew 8:11 is uh, that foreigners like us are going to be sitting with and fellowshipping with uh, the Jewish patriarchs. That's kind of a cool thing to think about. But most of all, the information is about the holiness and the purity that is going to be a part of our lives there. First Peter 1, to 3-5 tells us a little bit about heaven. Uh, part of it is that God has caused us to be born again to a living hope also to an inheritance and he describes that inheritance as imperishable undefiled unfading kept in heaven for us the the eternal aspect of heaven is seen there compared to our, our perishable mortal physical life that we have now uh, Revelations 21, 1 to 8, talks about the new heaven and the new earth. And um, the verse that we often think about or hear about is verse 4, where it says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, or crying, or pain anymore for the former things have passed away and we often think about that as always oh, going to be good for me I'm not going to be having any problems uh, and, and I assume that that's true that's related to this these words are in the context of people who have been suffering though for their faith for their righteousness let's not forget about that and think that it just means that we're, we're not going to have tear ducts Uh, or that we're going to have happy tears. Who knows? Are we going to have some types of competitions? Are we going to cry for joy? All of those things are unknown for us, and we have to trust God. But the previous verse, verse 3, is one that, that may have more depth for us about heaven. It says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, look, pay attention. The dwelling place of God, God's house, is with man. God with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. The connection, the reconnection in a in a in a physical way as much as that's going to be in heaven is going to take place I try to imagine having the all powerful all pure God the God of the universe moving into the house for sale across the street a little different picture and then I think well what do you think of me? What kind of a neighbor could I be to such a pure holy and powerful God that knows everything? But then I try to think what if me and all my neighbors and all the people in my city were living sinless lives never needing to lie to each other never needing to cheat or steal, never losing control of our desires, always finding new ways to show love and kindness to each other, always finding another way to express our thanks and our praise to God because he created this new place. He created in us the spirit, Holy Spirit that can pull off such an amazing thing a sinless heaven I pray that you and I could experience the love of our Heavenly Father in deeper faith, in deeper hope more exciting hope as we ponder these things from heaven John 3.16 says for God so loved the world gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life I need to see what time it is whether I eleven eleven. maybe I'll pass later on if uh, you're interested after the service I have a diagram that someone uh, uh, showed me some years ago that's a diagram of John 3.16 yeah, you can Google it if you want to, uh, to see it on the web. It has, it has various forms, but I find it very encouraging. So, let's pray. Father, thank you for the reminder. Uh, and maybe just a little glimpse of what it must be like in heaven where your will is done your will both in not doing bad your will in doing good pure good loving ways help us as we go forward in our lives as your children to find ways new ways of loving our neighbor loving one another loving our families and loving you in Jesus name I pray (laughs) you're <laughs>